Hello there, and welcome to the 26th episode of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. So in this week's episode, I'm going to be talking about the offseason and how the Blue Jays currently have 13 players heading for free agency, and which one of those players will actually be back with the team next year, and which ones they'll actually probably let go and walk out the front door. So let's get into it. All right, so unfortunately, things didn't go exactly as planned for the Blue Jays. Who really thought they were going to do well against Tampa to begin with? Not many people. We were hopeful, but uh, their chances weren't really good going up against the Rays. So it's not completely surprising to see them get swept in two games. That being said, great accomplishment for the Blue Jays to not only get into the postseason but actually somewhat look competitive. I mean, they, they didn't really score many runs, just three through the two games, but both games were kind of close throughout the majority of them. And they sort of displayed to the rest of the league that they can actually play in the most meaningful time of the year. And uh, they'll need to look on building on that throughout the off season. And hopefully come back even stronger when next season hopefully starts on time in the springtime. Now for free agency, it's not the hardest class to try and re-sign or at least hold contract negotiations with. But there are going to be some hard decisions for the Blue Jays. But... Let's start with some of the more easier choices they'll have to make. And it all starts with Chase Anderson, who really has already pitched his final inning with the Blue Jays. He's thrown his final pitch with with the Bluebirds because he has a club option for next season. But it would pay him $9.5 million. And this is for a guy who had north of a seven ERA this past season. So I think it's safe to say Chase Anderson is gone, which really shouldn't upset anyone at all because he was not really good at all at at any point this season. He didn't show any quality signs on the mound. And he really never even pitched that deep into ball games either. So this move shouldn't come as a surprise for the fan, to the fan base when it actually does happen, when his option is declined. And that'll probably happen shortly after the conclusion of the World Series because for those of you who don't know, every team across the league has five days after the final game of the World Series to decide on contract options, qualifying offers, and then free agency begins. It's a real quick turnaround. So the Blue Jays probably have already have their minds set up on what to do with Chase Anderson. Um, But another player who they probably have a good idea of what they're going to do with is Jonathan VR. And coming over from Miami at at the trade deadline, The front office probably thought he could actually help this team by adding a veteran presence and also adding a guy who can play multiple positions 
switch hitter. Yeah, that didn't actually work out. Jonathan VR didn't really have a good month and a bit with the Blue Jays. He actually had a negative 0.3 Fangrass War rating and a miserable 40 Weighted Runs Create a Plus rating. So based on that, based on the fact that his strikeout rate jumped even higher, he had an ISO of 14, a BAP of 271, and a WOBA of 229. I think we've probably seen the last of Jonathan VR, especially because he's going to be entering his age 30 season next year. I don't think he's going to come back to the Blue Jays. I think they can, even though they had to get rid of, well, not get rid of, but they had to send Griffin Kone to Miami to get VR. I mean... It's not an ideal situation, but sometimes you don't hit on, on trades. And VR certainly wasn't uh, one the Blue Jays are thankful they pulled off. So he's likely gone along with Anderson. And then it kind of gets into some of the tough decisions. And I'm going to start with Ken Giles. Because... He's not, ex uh, he's not exactly a slam dunk to get a contract extension because he just underwent Tommy John surgery and he's also going to be turning, uh, he just turned 30. And usually pitchers who undergo serious arm surgeries, whether it be Tommy John surgery or any other kind of elbow surgery or shoulder surgery, whatever it may be, for older pitchers or even older players, those types of injuries are sometimes hard to come back from. And I'm not trying to say here that Ken Giles is done because he's having Tommy John surgery, because I'm not. But that being said, he may never be the same pitcher he was before. And because he relies heavily on his high or his uh, high 90s fastball, if he can't replicate that velocity, I don't know where he goes. Because he, he's got a devastating slider, but he's only a two-pitch pitcher. So if he can't rely on his fastball, then I don't know what happens with Ken Giles. Plus, he's a 30-year-old. Coming off Tommy John surgery. So he's not going to play at all next year. And there's also the fact that. There's going to be a. Very slow market for players like Giles. Or even just. Players that are in their 30s or approaching 30. Because. The reality is the pandemic is going to cause. A financial crunch. Across the league. And that's not just baseball. But that's in all of sports. So even though there's not a salary cap in Major League Baseball, teams are going to be looking to shed salary. And they're not going to be willing, as willing to bring on a guy like Ken Giles who's not going to pitch at all next year. But with that in mind, it may also help the Blue Jays bring him back on a team-friendly deal. Because if he doesn't have a strong market, which I don't see him having a strong market at all, 
the Blue Jays could probably bring him back on a two-year deal and backload it so that he gets maybe a million dollars next season just so he can be a part of the team, rehab with the, uh, the Blue Jays staff, and then also get ready for the 2022 season where he could maybe earn four or five million dollars. Nowhere near what he made this season, which was 9.6 million. But thinking ahead, if you're the Blue Jays, who knows what this their, their bullpen is gonna look like in two years. And if Ken Giles can look somewhat normal like he did before this season, then that's a pretty good arm you can add to the back end of your bullpen for only four or five million dollars. So I, I, I think it's going to be a uh, an interesting decision because, like I said, it's not going to be an easy one where you just hand Ken Giles a two-year deal and say, "All right, rehab in 2021, come back strong in 2022." Because of his age, there's no guarantee that's exactly how it's going to play out. So they have to take a real long look and have a hard discussion with Giles about what his rehab's going to look like, if he's going to be able to bounce back. And I, and I know you can't really tell just by talking about it. You have to see what he looks like on the field. And it's going to be a gamble if the Blue Jays re-sign him because you're not going to know what his velocity is until he gets back, on, back out on the mound. And he's probably not going to do that till next summer. So, the Blue Jays can play this two ways. Either they re-sign him on a two-year deal and keep him around, let him rehab, send him back out in 2022. Or, they can let him walk, hope that nobody else takes a flyer on him and signs him to a two-year deal, and then next offseason, come back around. And you'll know what he looks like on the mound through his rehab. And then you'll be able to make a more educated decision on if you want to move forward with Giles. But that avenue is a little bit more risky because if you take that approach, there's a chance he could sign with a team that isn't probably going to contend for a championship next season, but might be able to contend for a championship in 2022, like the Miami Marlins. The Miami Marlins are a perfect team he could sign a two-year deal with, just rehab all throughout next season, and then come back strong in 2022, when they also will have another chance, a better chance to contend for a championship. So that would be the, the dilemma the Blue Jays could face if they just let him walk out the door and not even think about extending him this season uh, me personally I would probably re-sign him and that's uh, going a little bit against of what I said what I what I've said in the past about how the Blue Jays should have traded Ken Giles at the deadline last year but I think instead of letting a guy of his stature walk out the door for absolutely nothing, even though he won't be able to play at all next season, I think it would just make so much sense for the Blue Jays to re-sign him, 
let him rehab, let him come back in 2022 and help you when you're going to be in a better position to contend for a championship. And if it doesn't work out, then he's on a team friendly deal and you can trade him or look to trade him before the trade deadline in 2022. But we'll see how that plays out. His contract situation is definitely going to be one that isn't resolved quickly. Um, if he gets a new contract from the Blue Jays at all, it probably won't happen until later in the offseason because they're going to deal with their higher list of priorities first and then come back to him. But if some team jumps at him, early on I don't see that happening but if it does happen then the Blue Jays might have to fast track their decision on what they'll want to do with him so we'll see how that plays out now another tough decision may be Anthony Bass because he kind of had a bit of an up and down season with the Blue Jays this year it started off really well especially after Ken Giles went down he instantly kind of became the, the new closer for the Blue Jays. But as the season carried on, he kind of struggled in that role. And walks did him in a little bit, but uh, he also didn't really perform in safe situations either. Like perform effectively in safe situations. He had a pair of blown saves, but the Blue Jays were able to salvage both of those and get him the win. But his walk rate, again, like I said, uh, walks were a bit of a problem for him. His walk rate was at 9% this season, which was the same as it was in 2019. But his strikeout, weight, strikeout rate went down just a tick. It was at 22.8% in 19. It went down to 21% this season. And he gave up a little bit more uh, contact as well. Hitters were able to put the ball in play against him a little bit more this season compared to 2019 as his BAP was at 203 in 2019, but it jumped up to 221, if I can read that properly, which isn't concerning, but it definitely played a bit of a factor with him. Um, the good news is for, for Bass, Bass, was that his ground ball rate increased significantly from his tenure with the Mariners in 2019. In that season, it was at 51.6%. This season, it climbed all the way up to 62.3%. That being said, his fly ball rate also jumped up to 33.3%, but his line drive rate lowered to just 4.3%. And he only surrendered a hard hit rate of 24.3% which is nothing but again he lost control of his command sometimes and that led to some issues so for the Blue Jays they have to decide how much they want to invest in Anthony DeBasque because he's 32 he's going to turn 33 at the start of next month and because he's coming off a decent year where he generated a 0.5 Fangraphs war rating, he's probably going to command a bit of a raise from his salary from this season, which was $1.5 million. 
And because he struggled in high leverage situations at times this past season, he's probably not going to return to his ninth inning role in 2021 if the Blue Jays were to bring him back. So it's not like they can outbid or, or spend beyond their comfort zone with Bass because he doesn't deserve it. But I would definitely like to see him return on a two-year deal around $2 million per season. At that figure, it'd give him a, a $500,000 raise. So I think that would be a reasonable contract offer for Bass. I think maybe a two-year deal at that price would convince him to come back instead of taking a one-year deal elsewhere. That would probably pay him a little bit more money. So because the Blue Jays don't really have a clear-cut closer for next season, it would be nice to have a guy you can rely on in the seventh inning or the eighth inning to take some of the pressure off of Dolis, who probably, if you don't add anybody significant this offseason, Dolis is probably your closer next offseason. And I'll talk to him, I'll talk about him in a, in a little bit, but Bass, because he's very good against left-handed batters, if there wasn't that three-batter minimum rule, he would be a perfect lefty specialist but he was also half decent against righties this year as well which is why he can stay in for longer than just facing a string of lefties but uh if he doesn't figure out the walks issue which again wasn't concerning but it was definitely one of his biggest flaws this past season that and, and the contact um he might be diminished to low leverage situations or at least minimum or medium mid-leverage situations um, but he could definitely take a step forward next year as well and flourish in an eighth inning role or even a ninth inning role again if, if he wins that type of job but similar to Giles because of his age I could see him having a, uh, a a slow market, and even though he had a decent year, his age and the fact that we're facing a you know money crunch, probably not going to be many teams who want to just throw money at Anthony Bass. So maybe security over a two-year deal can convince him to stay in Toronto beyond just this season. So now let's move on to Rafael Dolis who is probably going to be an easy decision to bring back, <laughs> considering he has a $1.5 million club option for next season, and the fact that he was arguably one of the Blue Jays' best relievers this past season, which was a little surprising based on how he started this past season. It was very shaky. He didn't have any command of any of his pitchers, particularly his splitter. But as the season rolled on, he made adjustments. He was actually able to get comfortable pitching back in the major leagues. Because remember, he hasn't pitched in, uh, in North America since 2015. And that wasn't even in the major leagues. He spent his 2015 season and his 2014 season in the minor leagues. 
So he really hasn't pitched in the major league since 2013. That was seven years ago. So he definitely deserved a bit of a break. Not a break, but uh, an adjustment period. And because it was just a 60-game season, it's a little tough to give him that time to adjust back to the major leagues, especially the quality of hitters that are over here compared to overseas in Asia. That being said, his numbers were very impressive after he made that uh, adjustment period and, and got comfortable on the mound. Overall, through his 24 appearances, he recorded a 150 ERA, a 302 FIP, a 401 expected FIP, along with a 1.25 whip, a .188 opponent's average, a 283 BAP, and this is one of my more favorable statistics that Deleuze produced. He had a 31% strikeout rate. Now he did have a 14% walk rate, but he was able to counteract those strikeouts with all of those, or he was able to counteract those walks with all the strikeouts. And he also induced a ton of ground balls as well as he induced a 50% ground ball rate and only had a 12% line drive rate. And his home run to fly ball rate was only at 5.3%. So he didn't give up the long ball. He didn't give up a ton of contact, especially in the air or hard contact as he only generated 22.2% hard hit rate. So he wasn't giving up hard contact. He wasn't giving up many home runs at all. Like, similar to Bass, it was kind of just the walks that did him in a little bit. And really, the majority of those walks came in the first half of the season. After that, he shut it down completely, which is why he took over the closer's job from Anthony Bass. And flourished in that role. <laughs> and what's, what's even better about it is the Blue Jays only had to pay him $1 million this past season. That, and that's before uh, his, his, his salary was prorated. So considering he's only going to cost the Blue Jays $1.5 million next season, Dolis is an absolute slam dunk to come back for another season. After that, though, it might get a little tricky because in 2022, Dolis will be entering his age 34 season. Now, if he continues the way he's pitching through next season... He's going to get paid, seriously, even as a 34-year-old. And hopefully that's by the Blue Jays, but they may have to say goodbye to him because he may just earn far too much for a guy who uh, is going to be 34 years old. Like There may be a team out there who's willing to give him a three-year deal at $7 million per season if he continues to dominate on the mound throughout a full season next year because based off of his results over 60 games this season, I can only imagine what he would have been able to do if he was able to play an entire season this year. Because if you think about it, Dolis didn't exactly have an a time to adjust when he came over in the springtime because spring training was cut prematurely. And then adding to that, he was off for three, four months, then had to come back, had a very brief spring training 2.0. So 
if none of that happened, who knows what kind of start to the season Dolis would have had. Maybe he wouldn't have struggled to begin the year and he would have dominated throughout the entire 2020 campaign. Who knows? We'll never know at this point. But we'll have a better understanding of how to move forward with him based off of what happens next season. And I think, like I said before, if the Blue Jays don't add anyone else, which I don't think that will happen, I I think the Blue Jays are definitely going to add a high leverage reliever. But if that doesn't happen, then... I think he would be a great player to give the closers job to. And uh, I would feel completely confident in putting him in that role at the start of next season. So, now, Tywin Walker is arguably the most important free agent the Blue Jays will have this year. And I don't think that's an understatement because I don't think that's overstating it by by any uh, point because even though when you look at Tywin Walker, you think, all right, just by the name, not even looking at his stats, just knowing his history, he's a mid of the rotation pitcher. But when you look at his numbers, and particularly how he performed over his limited sample size with the Blue Jays, it's hard to say Taiwan Walker shouldn't be the Blue Jays' number two pitcher heading into next season. Now, I know you can't just look at ERA, but it's hard to ignore the fact that Walker generated a 1.37 ERA over six starts with the Blue Jays this past season. But taking it even further, he also had a 414 FIP and a 486 expected FIP. And the reason why those numbers were so high compared to his ERA was one, because he got into walk trouble. Now, you have to discredit one start because of what happened with Derek Fisher in New York. But he also had another start in Buffalo where he walked five batters, which resulted and him producing a 9.7% walk rate with the Blue Jays and a 22.1% strikeout rate. Those numbers don't exactly jump off the page at you. So, I'm a little cautious about going all in with Taiwan Walker, even though some of his numbers suggest he could be a number two guy for the Blue Jays but I need to see no more from him which is why his contract situation is such a tough one because you don't have a large sample size to base his value off of because he's been injured each of the last two seasons in 2018 he only made three starts with the Diamondbacks the next year he only made one start And then he made only 11 starts this season because it was a shortened season. And those 11 starts were split between two different organizations. So he is is one of the many players that teams will have a hard time uh, basing their value off of or, or having an idea of what their value is. 
because he just doesn't have a large enough sample size to say, all right, I'll give Tywan Walker a five-year deal. And here's the thing too, he's only 28. He just turned 28 in August. So I think Tywan Walker's probably gonna be looking for a long-term deal. He's not gonna take a one-year deal or anything like that. But from the Blue Jays' perspective, there's no way they can offer Taiwan Walker a four- or five-year deal. There's no way. He hasn't done enough to deserve that type of offer. I would be fully com comfortable giving him a, a three-year deal that would pay him somewhere around $7 million per season. But giving him that fourth year, I just don't feel great about it because I don't know, I don't really know what kind of picture, pitcher he is yet. Now, that may seem crazy for a guy who's 28, but because of his injuries, it's hard to tell what his future is gonna be because you can't pay a guy based on what he's done previously in his career. You have to pay him on what you expect him to do over the term you're gonna give him. And I'm not so confident about what he's gonna do. He's going to be a, a decent strikeout guy, but is he going to struggle to walk batters around the bases? Is his home run to fly ball rate going to increase even further than it did this year? Because this year it was at 13.1% overall, but splitting that up, he generated a 16.1% home run to fly ball rate with the Mariners and declined that down to 10% with the Blue Jays. I, it's just... It's hard to say because there's again there's not enough big there's not a big enough sample size for him, and his hard hit rate this past season was at thirty point nine percent, which isn't out of the ordinary for his career. But if he starts to lose some of the velocity on his fastball, if his cutter slash slider, whatever you want to call it isn't as fine next season or going forward what's that do i just i don't want to give him a five-year deal and be stuck with him if he falls off because to me on a champion con championship contending team taiwan walker is probably your fourth best pitcher but on the blue jays because we don't really have aside from hunjin ryu all-star pitchers yet walker would probably be our second best pitcher and I don't want to pay him like a number two. I want to pay him like a, a, a late round or a, a late back end of the rotation pitcher. But I want him performing like my two, if that makes sense. So he's going to be a, a, a difficult decision or a difficult player to make a decision on. And along with, along with Walker, Shoemaker is also going to provide some challenges for the Blue Jays this year because he's also a guy who you can't exactly make a firm decision on because he doesn't have a big sample size of, of, of history. And his date's even farther than uh, Walker because or his, his issues extend beyond Walker's because while Taiwan Walker was able to stay healthy this season, Matt Shoemaker wasn't. Uh, coming off his, his torn ACL, 
he started experiencing shoulder tightness. And he wasn't exactly as sharp as he was earlier with the Blue Jays. But that being said, he also showed flashes of being that same dominant pitcher. Especially in the postseason. His lone start against the Rays, he was lights out. If he was able to uh, be built up more before that start, he would have been able to go six strong innings against the Rays. And maybe we're having a completely different conversation because Matt Shoemaker was able to extend the series to three games. But that's not what conversation we're having. So we have to make a a decision off of, or the Blue Jays will have to make a decision off of what they've seen from Shoemaker so far. And he's going to be turning 35 next September. So you're going to get his age 34 season next year. But is he going to be able to stay healthy? And what type of deal are you going to give him? Because he, he ran into some command issues again this season. But where he was able to work his way out of them last year by getting strikeouts and ground balls... That wasn't the same case for him this year. His ground ball rate declined a little bit this year. It was at 51.4% last year. It was at 48.1% this past season. His strikeout rate was at 22.6% in 2019. Or sorry, it was at 22.2% in 2019. It was about the same this year. But in the postseason, it was down to 18.2%, which is only one start. But he only got a pair of strikeouts through three innings. So that's not bad but for a guy who wasn't able to generate as many ground balls I'm not I'm not a fan of his walk uh, issues coming around again and home runs were a bit of a problem for him this year as well along with walks his home run to fly ball rate jumped up and this is probably the biggest warning sign for Matt Shoemaker is in 2019, over his five starts with the Blue Jays before getting injured, he allowed three home runs. This season, over six starts, he allowed eight, which resulted in his home run to fly ball rate jumping up from 11.1% to 29.6%. And that was, was with him surrendering fewer fly balls. And his line drive rate went up as well this past season. It was up from 12.2% in 2019 to 17.7%. So he wasn't able to stay healthy. Home runs were a serious problem and walks were a bit of a problem for him again. And he's 34 now. I, I, I don't exactly know what his value is on the open market. But he's certainly not getting a long-term deal. Based on his injury history, I wouldn't be surprised for any team that's interested in him to give him a two-year deal max. For the Blue Jays, I would be hard finding myself giving him more than a one-year deal. Because I just think he needs to prove himself again. 
And I know that's tough to say because he was supposed to do that in 2019 and then got hurt. But he was supposed to do that this year and then got hurt again. So if he wasn't able to, uh, if he was able to stay on the field, I would have no issue giving him a three-year deal or a two-year deal with an option. But because we don't know what his health status is going to be over the next few seasons, I just don't feel comfortable giving him more than a one-year deal. And, you know, maybe the Blue Jays convince him to stay on a one-year, $5 million deal. But there's also the fact that if the Blue Jays re-sign Taiwan Walker, that gives them Ryu, Nate Pearson, Tanner Roark, who's still under contract for the Blue Jays, and then Walker as options for the rotation next year. And they have one open spot. If they re-sign Matt Shoemaker, they're not bringing in anyone else outside of the organization to compete for that last spot in the rotation. It would be Shoemaker and Roark competing against guys like Thomas Hatch, Anthony Kay, uh, TJ Zoik, Patrick Murphy, any other uh, pitching prospects that, that are on the verge uh, of, of breaking into the major leagues. Those would be the guys competing for the one or, or last spot in the rotation. There'd be nobody else. Do the Blue Jays really want to have a rotation that is basically the exact same as it was last year? I don't think so. We want the Blue Jays to take a step forward this year. So if they re-sign Taiwan Walker, I think they need to go out on the open market or through the trading market and find a better option than Matt Shoemaker to compete for one of those last spots in the rotation. Because pitching depth is, is nice, but you want to have quality pitching depth as well. And, I, and I'm not trying to dump on Matt Shoemaker here, but I don't trust his health. I don't trust the fact that he's not going to give up a ton of home runs last or, uh, next season just like he did this past season. So I'm not ready to bring Matt Shoemaker back, but... I'm also not really ready to kick him out of the door, kick him out the door either. So similar to Ken Giles, I think Matt Shoemaker's contract situation is going to be dragged out long into the offseason. But if the Blue Jays aren't able to land anybody else on the open market, then they may be able to circle back and bring Matt Shoemaker back for another season. So we'll see what happens there. Um, moving along quickly here to, to some of the other notable free agents the Blue Jays have. Robbie Ray is a guy I could see the Blue Jays bringing back on a, a very cheap one-year deal, but not in a starting role because as a starter, I he, he just doesn't perform well. His, he's way too inconsistent with his command, gives up far too many home runs and walks, but if the Blue Jays can control who he faces and also limit his workload and give him more time to work with Pete Walker, they may be able to turn his career around and turn him into a quality bulk innings pitcher that you could also maybe count on if somebody from your rotation gets hurt and you have to move Robbie Ray into the rotation to eat some innings for you. But if he wants more than a one-year deal, 
you need to say goodbye because he's not worth anything more than a one-year deal. He's got to prove himself over a full season before you can commit to him longer than that. And Joe Panic is a guy that I could certainly see coming back next season because while he only had a 640 OPS, Joe Panic's leadership in the clubhouse on and off the field is extremely valuable for a young team. It, it's it's sort of like Caleb Joseph. You know, he's probably not going to come back next season because he's not valuable as a catcher. You just have him around as that, you know, player coach. But Joe Panic because he actually can produce on the field for you, I would I would be uh, certainly on board with bringing him back on a uh, either a minor league deal or a, uh, you know, one year, $1 million deal and use him as uh, in a similar role as he as he was this past season playing at second, third base. Not exactly shortstop. I don't really want to see him over there. If you need somebody to play shortstop, put Santiago Espinal there. Do not put Joe Panic there because he's not a shortstop whatsoever. But because the Blue Jays want to keep surrounding their young core with veteran players. I would love to see Joe Panic come back. And again, because the Blue Jays really bought into who he is and what his personality is, and they gelled really well with him. And he's also won before, so he knows what it takes. So he's a guy I would love to see uh, return next season. And, and, and hopefully uh, he can continue serving as that leader in the clubhouse for the Blue Jays. So uh, that does it for this week's episode. I hope you, all of you enjoyed this uh, in-depth look into uh, the majority of the, the current free agents that are expected, expected to hit the market five days after the, uh, the World Series concludes. And, and hopefully in a few weeks, we're able to talk about some of those free agents that are going to be coming back to the team and putting on blue and white for next season. So, uh, But until next time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. And remember, please wear a mask. And thanks for listening.